Yes, hello, Tyler O'Reilly here. Before we start, just wanted to remind everyone of Bazaar Plus, our membership program where you can get extra episodes every week. Just simply go to the link in the show notes. It's Sports Bazaar. Welcome aboard, everyone. Anyone isn't happy, we call it all off immediately. The hunt for the weirdest. There you go. Can you put out a fact sheet with this? <laughs> you my mind. I don't. I can't <laughs> keep up. Strangers. Catastrophic, amazing, bizarre. Multiple layers of stupidity coming together. What could go wrong? Most unbelievable. It's like a Coen Brothers movie. Stories to ever occur. They're only going to get weirder from here. Get comfy, everyone. Some good, some bad. And some just bizarre, which we love. In the world of sport. How many chimneys could you do in a day? I've researched the tool. To France, not Sports Bazaar. Right, police are called in. <laughs> For the players. Dennis Rodman is telling you to calm down. Testicle soup. Can I just stop you for a second? Don't act like you've never done this. I feel like once again we've strayed away from what I've researched. It's time for the leaders of the hunt. An old couple who've got our spark back. <laughs> it's Titus O'Reilly and Mick Malloy. Welcome back to the latest instalment of Sports Bazaar with my good self, Mick Malloy, and Titus O'Reilly, who's halfway through an epic yarn about the origins of boxing as we know it today. And Titus, you left us with people being cudgeled in the knee, <laughs> spitting on each other, pulling hair, yeah. and finally getting organised into an international fight. Is it the first the gondolier, the yeah, the Venetian, gondolier, the Venetian comes to town, and we see for the first time uh, an epic contest on national. Yeah, lines. not just Britons fighting Britons. This is you know yeah. it was always considered like the Irish, the sure. Scottish, the Brits, the English yeah. would fight each other, and that was all considered British at the time, of course. And so that was the first time. But we're really at a point where Fig, who has passed away, the giant of well, the yeah. early days of this, he's passed away, and. Really, it falls to one of his students, and some people say his grandson, but the, they're vague on records are hard. To records verify are a, bit, back in know, the day. A, um, a guy by the name of Jack Broughton, who is one of the many students that emerge after Fig's Amphitheatre and Training Centre, has sort of kick started this yeah. bare fisted fighting. So Fig was the greatest thing. figure of, of James Fig's of greatest the day. figure. He's now morphed his way into promoting, he promote, and then he venue. finally passes away. And his alleged grandson, uh, Jack Broughton, he steps in. He becomes a great boxer. He's the greatest champion of his day. Yes. So we're talking sort of the 1730s, 1740s, the champion of England for 20 years. All right. right. It's seen as the world champion, but a bit like the Americans call the baseball, World Series of world Baseball. Series, it's yes. not, you know, but he is so good a fighter that 20 years he dominates the sport. And King George is the second son, the Duke of Cumberland becomes his patron. So he has a direct connection to the king and one of the king's son is not only just paying for a lot of his career and various things, but they become close. He takes Broughton with him when he goes for a tour of Europe. Okay. In Berlin, they see a regiment of the Grenadiers raised by Frederick the Great and they're admiring them. And the Duke of Cumberland says, if you've fought any of them, how do you reckon you'd go? And Broughton says straight away, well, your Royal Highness, I should have no objection to fight the whole regiment. Only be, <laughs> only be kind enough to allow me a breakfast between each battle. <laughs> so he's this kind this of is he's this kind of guy, Duke of Cumberland, the king's son. He 
doesn't just support him in the ring. He supports him in constructing a brand new amphitheater okay. and training venue in 1743. And it takes over from Figs as the top place for yeah. boxing. It's like the new Madison Square Garden of London sure. for boxing. But in the same year, we have this tragedy strike, which has enormous repercussions for boxing to the modern day. And that is at 1741 and Broughton's fighting a guy called George Stevenson. And the fight lasts what is considered short, just a mere 40 minutes. Okay, yeah. And it was considered brutal even for the day. Bare so knuckles? Or bare knuckles. This is the before, usual. This is still, we're still with all the, still with the weaponry. Weaponry, fists, no rules, wrestling, throwing, Swords, spitting. Cudgels, spitting. I love that spitting is in there. <laughs> spitting is not illegal. <laughs> Suddenly at one point they're both really hammering each other. Broughton lands a blow just below Stevenson's heart and Stevenson drops to the floor and doesn't get up. And Broughton says, what have I done? I've killed him. But Stevenson sort of recovers and says, I give my respects to you for winning, well done, and then loses consciousness again. And then he spends the next month, Stevenson, trying to recover at home. And during this month, Broughton visits him every day and they become very close friends, but he's in a very bad way. And after this month, he passes away. And Broughton says, I'll never fight again. This is it. Never fighting. So This is the first official death? Yeah. It's the first major death of these top boxers. Like, you know, the, there's a lot of death and violence at this time that would go unrecorded. No, but this is the first time. And Broughton is the champ, undisputed champion. The king's son is his patron. It's a huge deal. And he says, I'm not fighting. People keep saying, you got to fight. you got to fight again. He says, okay, well, I will consider coming back, but I'm going to come up with a set of rules to govern this. So this is the nanification. This is the first in. implementation. This is the first proper set of rules, and and it's focusing purely on the bare knuckle boxing. No gloves at all. Bare yeah. knuckle boxing. Gloves aren't invented at this point. It's not a rule yet. It's not a rule. So the basic rules, and and a lot of these are the foundation rules that we have today, and go right through and and help the Marquis of Queensbury rules that come later on. So, but this is a hundred years before then, yeah. at least. Broughton's rolls disallow blows below the belt. So that's the first time you have no punching in the groin and leg and all that. Rubbish. Rubbish. You're no longer allowed to hit a man while he's on the ground. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> it's outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. It allows after someone is knocked down, the round ends when someone's knocked to the ground now and you get a 30-second break. Okay. So, so, But the round only stops when someone's knocked to the ground. Sure. So you Otherwise, still it can go for hours, right? Each new round, the two boxers come to a mark in the center of the ring and they have to make it to the mark and say, I'm ready to go, which you see today. And that mark was known as scratch and it was known as coming up to scratch. So something's something's not up to scratch. Right. It, it comes from that meaning you couldn't, you weren't well enough to, yeah, you weren't allowed to start the match. You know, you weren't good enough to start right. the match the next round. You could still throw people down, but you had to wrestle and grab them above the waist. So that was one of the difference. Now, Broughton, not long after this, he brings in these rules and it doesn't really define legal or illegal blows. There's You can yes. hit from behind. There's, it's really just you're not allowed to hit below the, while they're down. Or below this. He doesn't cover spitting at a lot of those things. So I think they're all fairly okay still. Eye gouging? There's still a fair bit of eye gouging. That. So while it's some rules, to us they would seem still, you watch a fight under biting. these rules. What about biting? There's none of that that's defined as illegal. So... It's really just no punching people in the groin. <laughs> a bit less wrestling, a bit yeah, less being able to... when he's on the ground. And when he's on the ground, cool. you can't hit him, right? Yeah. Which is, you know, so like you say, soft. 
If we watched a fight under the, if we watched a fight under these rules today, we would still be shocked by how violent it was, right? But at the time, they're writing, "Well, this is the beginning of the end, right? This is terrible." Broughton also invents a thing called mufflers, which is the beginning of gloves, right? And these he uses for training. And he uses them with the noblemen so they don't get too damaged. So it's not really used in fights, but it is As the a first tool. It's like headgear. Yeah, it's a training a, tool. Yeah. It's not. It's is the first emergence of. So he's a, an influential guy at the centre of setting up the first set of rules and inventing basically the beginnings of boxing gloves. Yeah. So he's he's starting mufflers. to make it slightly. Said they're called mufflers. So it's really just cloth wrapped around the hands. Just to cushion stuff. the blow. Cushion the blow, sort of. There's another key bit, though, that while the, his influence of inventing the first sort of early boxing gloves, the first rules, he's also influential in another way. And this way actually is the first blow to boxing in a major way. It's, so in this point, it's all been popular, popular, popular on the yeah. Georgian era. But in 1750, he fights a guy called Jack Slack. Jack Slack. <laughs> Jack Slack, who's a butcher and is known as the Norfolk Butcher in traditional... Give us where you're from. Give us what you do. That's starting to sound like a boxing. A butcher, no, at least. I'm like the baker. Oh, there was another guy we mentioned who was the baker. The Norfolk butcher sounds like oh, yeah. a good name for a boxer or serial killer. There was one boxer at, at this time. It was the first name I saw, and he wasn't a well-known boxer, but it was the first name I saw that was actually good, and his nickname was Death. So that's the first intimidating. Yeah, we're yeah, it. yeah. So Slack is known as um, an okay fighter, but he's known as a bit of a hothead, a bit of a loose cannon. He and Broughton are at a race track and they end up getting in a bit of a quarrel. A uh, challenge? Um, it leads to a challenge and an official fight and it's going to be at Broughton's amphitheatre. Now, Broughton is so good. And I love this happening at a race track. Yeah. It's just I, I just want to yeah. run with this crowd. <laughs> yeah, I know. everything. It just shows you though over the centuries. I mean, we get, we're here we're in the mid-18th century. It's the same as today. Barely same. any of this has changed. Yeah, the trouble right? starts. Jack Broughton's like such the – it is 1750, but he has been for 20 years the champion. Yep. He's got the best amphitheatre. He runs boxing basically in yep. London. So no one thinks that Slack's going to beat him. Slack has already lost to another guy called George Taylor who's Fig's other great – champion who Broughton had beat many times. So no one's really going Slack's going to win. In fact, Broughton has seen it. It's 10 to 1 of the odds with the champion seeing as winning. The Duke of Cumberland, who's the king's son and, and Broughton's patron, goes, great, puts a £10,000 bet, which at the time is like an ins- it's like putting yeah. a multi-million dollar bet on Don't uh, someone. He loves it. Is this going where Broughton's going so on? confident that a contemporary source says that he refused to take training preparation even though he hadn't fought for a long time. Yeah. The night before the battle, Broughton is so confident, but he's invited all these patrons and numerous friends to come to the fight the next day, and he starts worrying that Slack is going to pull out. That's how confident Broughton okay. is. So he says to Slack, he contacts Slack that night and says, here's a present of 10 guineas just for you to not break the engagement and just make you extra sure you're going to show up. And Slack goes, great, thanks. <laughs> the fight starts and in 14 minutes, Broughton's rendered unable to see as Slack hits him between the eyes and Broughton can't see. Oh and God. he's forced to retire and the Duke of Cumberland loses Does his money. Dough. And he, it says, is most unworthily angered at the loss it's described. <laughs> He is furious, right? He is like, he first says to everyone, this fight has been sold, meaning Broughton has taken 
money to take a money. This is I match thought that's fixing. what you were going to say. This was no, the first instant. It, it of, seems that no, that Broughton just has been lazy and arrogant to... and has not. Eventually, the Duke does forgive Broughton later in life and says, oh, no, I do get that you didn't drop that fight, but I'm annoyed at you for not prepping. And anyway, he pe- does offer him pension later in life. But <laughs> Duke and Cumberland's cut up rough. Yeah, so rough that it said that to the end of his days, he could never speak of this contest with any degree of temper. So if you just brought the fight up, he'd go nuts. He'd just be absolutely... He, yeah, he never, like, forgave it. So angry about boxing was the Duke after this, and he's been one of the big patrons big of it, of the, of the whole sport. He focuses his efforts on unleashing the law on the sport. Right. So he goes to Parliament where, you know, he's the king's son. He's pretty influential. Yeah. And this is, you know, before the, the king's son has a lot of power yeah. and is heavily involved in this. And he has legislation passed that make prize fights illegal in England. He's <laughs> really taken this badly. And closes Broughton's amphitheatre. Broughton goes and just works other jobs for the rest of his life and never fights again. So what happens to boxing? Boxing is suddenly slumped. It's driven underground in the provinces, like outside of London, in the country. There are magistrates who would wink with a friendly eye and go, yeah, you can fight. They'd let you get away with it in some places. Or they would, some magistrates were so dumb, people just got away with it. They didn't know. Are they still respecting the... Rules? They're, Broughton's rules are the ones that have spread the whole country. So they're they're following now, that and it's and the swords have now gone, the cudgels have gone, it's bare-knuckle yeah, fighting. I miss the cudgels. I know. The cudgels were, you know, and so poor does boxing end up that slack. He's held the championship for 10 long years, but he's not able to really fight anyone good because no one can box regularly. Yeah. He only fights three times in 10 years and they're all illegal fights and they're no good. He makes his living running a butcher shop because that's where the butcher comes from. So he makes no money from boxing anymore, which in the past Fig and Broughton did. After 10 years, though, the Duke of Cumberland calms out a little. (laughs) (laughs) This just shows you like this is... After 10 years. This just shows you, though, that one man's kind of just petty pee but losing. They say men aren't emotional. He loses a bet. He's the king's son. Like he's lost a lot of money, but it's not like he's not still the king's son. He's so angry. He doesn't let it go for ten years. Ten years, he's furious. He and he makes boxing illegal, <laughs> right? After ten years, he's missing his favourite sport, and so he says, "Look, he's calmed down. He calms down. Still all illegal, but he says, look to Slack. He says, you 'You're the champion. I'll back you in a fight. Let's get an opponent named Bill Stevens, who's known as the Nailer.'" Let's put up 100 guineas. Let's get this fight started. And he organises it for it to be actually held in London with no interference by the law, even though it's still a law, even though it is. Yeah, he says, ignore this one. There hasn't been any fights in London, even illegally. It's so been clamped down on, right? And so there's this glimmer of light that boxing is coming out of its ban. Slack loses and the Duke loses his 100 guineas. (laughs) And straight away, the, the Duke goes, that's it. I'm done. This no, is taking you back the ball and yeah. going home yeah. at the highest level. Yeah. So it is banned, done, 
push to underground. Yeah. There's no great champion. So you'd, you had Broughton, you had Fig, these champions that mixed with celebrities. and Out in the sunlight. The kings right. took them to Europe and they were the big celebrities of the day and poets yeah. wrote full poets. I, I didn't People bring all coming, the poems. But uh, superstars were coming to yeah, their bouts. They're in the famous painters of the day painted them or they're in their paintings in the background and stuff like that. So images are, of these Oh, guys? yeah, we got like lots of drawings. Suddenly it's underground. No one knows who they are. No one can go watch it. There's no money in it. The nobility are not them. Despite this, Broughton, he never fights again for money. He just trains boxers, often with mufflers, these early yeah. boxing things. He eventually passes away and he is buried. And so popular is he, even though boxing is now banned, so popular was he as a boxer that he's buried in Westminster Abbey. Where That's the highest yeah. posts. All the kings of the ever. Right. I've been there. He's the only boxer to be so honoured and he's, you can see and there's images of his gravestone. It says, Mr. John Broughton, Championship Prize Fighter of England, died January 8th, 1789, aged 86 years. And that's the inscription at Westminster. It's a old age for, for the times. So for 30 more years, boxing is dead, buried, no one's interested, it's illegal. That's a shame. Then you get to the Regency era. This is where, you know, Bridgerton, the show is set in this. It's the bit people often would, when they think of, England aristocrats, these flowy dresses and this is the pride it, the of prejudice of era. Yeah. The Regency era is when King George III is mad. He goes in the mental, he's got this mental illness. And then 1811, the Regency Act, which is passed, which his eldest son, George, is the Prince of Wales, is appointed Prince Regent. And he just takes over basically until King George dies and then he becomes King George IV. But this is known broadly as the Regency era. Yeah. England are back at war with France. Okay. And for a few other wars as well, War of Independence, all these things. So suddenly boxing is seen, comes back into favourability as our men are soft, we've got to get them hard-edged yeah, yeah, again, the right? Battle, battle. Really. Yeah, it's been banned since the time of Jack Broughton because the, <laughs> cause the, cause the son of the king had a like, easy fit. So we need to, you know, bring it back. And this is a new, they call it the first golden age of modern boxing is now. The aristocracy is only interested in it. Yep. It's a resurgence. They're saying this is an English thing. We have to have it to fight the French. We're becoming soft. And yes. so suddenly big series of fights are organised all over the place. One is between a guy called Richard Humphreys and Daniel Mendoza. Really sparks big interest in it. Mendoza is known as the Jew, being Jewish, <laughs> which they're very big on. <laughs> He's the first guy who changes the sport a little bit in a fighting sense in that up until this point, when you fight, you basically stand up next to each other, front on, and just punch each other. Sure. And you don't move your feet don't much. Your you don't back, work, go backwards. You don't Plant move. Them, right. And yeah. You throw haymakers. Yeah. Mendoza is the first who does weaving, bobbing, fancy footwork, the there stuff you, you see now. He's actually, it's the floating like a butterfly, sting like yes. a beast, the first sort of thing of this. He was good at defending too. So dancing, defending, dodging. And people have found this actually quite exciting because they hadn't seen it. At first, it was seen as ungentlemanly. And, but Stand then pe- there and take it like a man. Yeah, but then it's sort of people like actually he's he's very good, and they thought it was more fun to watch than just the pummeling that you just normally got, right? And so this became big. Now they really Humphreys and Mendoza fight all these fights against each other. The newspapers at the time really say here's two contrasting styles. You've got the sort of dodging, weaving, exciting Mendoza, Mendoza and then you got Humphreys who's the bit more of the traditional bruiser. 
and they also play up quite openly the race card. So sure. they go, one's a Jew, one's an Englishman. Let's watch them battle. Come on. They all, each fighter sends torting letters and stuff to the newspapers, all that Fantastic. stuff we talked about. The theatre's back. The theatre's back, right. So suddenly it's huge and it's all taking off and everyone is going nuts about it and people just suddenly think, well, this is great. They've made the transition from getting rid of all the special weaponry. It's just boxing is just yeah. pure things, but they're still fighting under Broughton's law. Now, this yep. renaissance is great, but they then hit, we're approaching the Victorian era, the ascension of Queen Victoria. Yep. This is where Britain starts to lose its interest in boxing again, but not because of making it illegal. They start to see the drinking, the Everything violence, the gambling as moral vices. This yeah. is the great, this is the thing you would not like. This is the great. Victorian era is not my era. Yeah. These are like. You've got to be a you you know a good person is upstanding a button up Englishman who has doesn't gamble doesn't drink <sighs> doesn't fight you know doesn't go to prostitutes this is where these morals sort of come in not everyone follows it but that's the idea sure. right so this is seen as no longer is it fit for a respectable gentleman to frequent or support the boxing the boxing's out by 1838 the London Prize rules are brought in by some people running the sport. This is the first attempt to put new rules in since Broughton. And this okay. is to say, okay, let's try and make it more respectable so we don't get banned. Right. Basically. Okay. The ring square becomes bounded by ropes. Here we go. Okay. So the traditional things. Rounds end whenever a fighter goes down still. The fighters then help to the feet and put back into their corner and then has to come out again. So it's much more genteel. I'm starting to recognize this. Yeah. It's boxing. And this is where you're going to be really upset. They outlaw headbutting, gouging, scratching, scratching, Don't kicking, kicking, spitting, no spitting, holding the ropes, using resin, stone, or hard objects in your hands, and they even ban biting. That is the end of it. Pretty there much, is. the there, rules. There goes all the rubbish. <laughs> yeah, honestly, there goes all the stuff that it's no fun. Leaves behind what. Boxing. Exactly. The rules uh, allow for like a broad range of fighting, including holds and throws still a little oh, okay. bit. So it's not full boxing like you know now. Spike shoes within limits are also allowed. <laughs> okay. So today that would still be seen as pretty violent sure. sport, but it's low. Despite these rules, the, it just increasingly comes under more pressure. So, so decided, still not buying. Yeah, they add some rules in 1850s, but by 1867 – 100 years after Broughton's rules. Yes. We finally, it's seen these aren't good enough. We need new rules to really keep the sport legit. Sure. So in 1867, new set of rules are designed to focus on technique and skill. These are done by a guy called John Graham Chambers. But he decides to name him after his patron, who is the uh, John Sholto Douglas, who's the ninth marquee of Queensbury. So this is where we get the Marquis of this Queensbury rules or the Queensbury, Queensbury rules. rules. Which is the template for modern boxing. It is modern boxing, basically. Yeah. yeah. It's like so so it's named after the, <laughs> the Marquis of Queensbury. Now interesting about this, he didn't come up with them, he just lent his name to them, sure. right? He's an interesting character. He's a wealthy Scottish nobleman. He's remembered today, it says on many <laughs> things I've read as he's remembered today for his uncommon brutish manner. Outspoken views and famous dispute with Oscar Wilde. What was that about? So this guy, um, Sidebar. as well as the Marquis of Queensbury rules, which he's known as named after him and were famous to this day, 
Um, he's also known for a bunch of things. One, he married Sybil Montgomery in 1866. They had four sons and a daughter, but his wife successfully sued for divorce in 1887. So this is a lot when That's divorce a, is a... divorce is... In these, wow. On the grounds of adultery. Okay. Right? So he's a bit... He's known as a horrible man. He cheats on his wife, but he's like horrible. Yeah. He later went on into a period of mental decline believed to be called by syphilis. Old syphilis, eh? Now, this bit's going to very much reflect the values of the time, but when it comes to Oscar Wilde, uh, the Marquis of Queensbury, uh, John Douglas, he finds out that his son, his third son, first he finds out he's become a close friend with the famous author and poet Oscar Wilde. It becomes known that his son and Wilde have engaged in what's believed to be sexual intercourse in multiple occasions. This is at the time in the Victorian era. This wasn't. Not a welcomed no. thing. It's a, you know, it's a severe thing. Highly it, illegal. It severely damages the reputation of the, both of these men, but it also enrages Queensberry because he's already basically a prick. We, we know he's... <laughs> he's not a nice guy to begin with and then yeah. he finds out this and this is like... He's, too much. He is furious. He tries to end the relationship, which does not really work that well. At one point he's so angered that it keeps going on, this relationship yeah. between the two that he leaves a calling card at Oscar Wilde's clubs. You know, they all have these famous establishment yes, clubs that they live in. Wilde's living in, uh, in this club and he leaves a calling card and it says, for Oscar Wilde posing sodomite. <laughs> That's all the card says. And you can see this card online. It's written. Sort of, this is like the letters to the paper. They should do yeah. a fight. Oh, they like, should, yeah. So he, he's like furious at this. Wilde then sues, in response to this card, he sues Queensberry for criminal libel, and this leads to Queensberry being arrested. This is the scandal of London society, media, everything at the time, right? Very hard sledge for the time, isn't it? Oh, I mean, it's, yeah. And at the time, and he tries to make out that Wilde's this older man preying on young boys is kind of the, so it's all the typical stuff of the time, you know, in a horrible way. It's ruining Wilde's career. Wilde doesn't win the case and Queensberry has detectives following Wilde and digging up dirt on him the whole time during this case. And at the end, he gives all this evidence to the police and Wilde gets convicted for gross indecency, which is basically being homosexual. And he's sentenced to two years hard labour, which he serves. And then upon release, Will goes to France in exile and um, his health is destroyed and eventually passes away. But 10 months before that, Queensbury dies too because he's got this syphilis and mental decline. So, it, like, it's this horrible decline. But this Shocking is the man. little episode. But when you hear the Marquis of Queensbury rules, that's who it's named after, there the guy that that's destroyed Oscar Wilde's uh, life, basically. But back to John Graham Chambers, who's the man who is overseeing boxing and, and yeah. names it after the Marquis because the Marquis is paying for the club that he sure. runs. He comes up with these rules, and the rules are that the fighters wear padded gloves. So this is the rule where you suddenly see we've gone yeah. from fig with no rules through yeah. to Broughton's rules, yeah. through the athletic club's rules now. these The rules also include that the rounds are just three minutes with a minute rest between them. Sure. A fighter is only to care of the loser when they can't get up unaided within 10 seconds, so the 10 count this comes in. It. Wrestling's banned, so suddenly you have a wrestling's one sport, boxing's a different sport. It's designed to appeal to the English upper caste so to say, hey, I know you don't really like the blood and everything in boxing, so here's a sanitised version of boxing, uh, right? 
And uh, it's seen as everyone at the time, and especially lower class patrons, it says they view this as being less manly and hate it. Yeah, I imagine they it's get, a revolutionary So you've gone from one to, yeah, you've gone from Overnight, you've got to go, what happened? Yeah. But after this also, it, despite all this, in 1866, so you've got to remember this is, you know, happening um, before all this. This is at around the same time. It's becoming illegal, the prize fighting. So Marquis of Queensbury rules stays legal, but the other prize fighting and the boxing and bare knuckles now becomes banned again. And it's an open secret that it still happens a bit, but suddenly these guys, even under Marquis of Queensbury rules, are no longer national heroes again. It's back to where it was. It's, It's gone under the things. And if you look at some of the people in the 1880s and 1890s, um, when this is like, you know, all going on, if you're a boxer, unlike Fig and Broughton who are celebrities yes. and rich, these are the kind of guys that are boxing at the time, right? So you've got William Bendoff who was a tough and dangerous man in the boxing ring and even worse one out of it, serving prison <laughs> terms for attempted murder, assault and handling stolen goods. Wow. John Davenport and James Haynes, these guys are two African-American heavyweights that have come to London. And this is when America starts to, the power of boxing starts to shift to America. But they've come to London. They headline large venues, but they're also doing time for drunkenly assaulting police officers, strangers, and their female companions. So they're in jail. They come out box, go back to jail. This is incredible. There's a respectful wrestler called Walter the Cross Buttaker Armstrong. (laughs) He's jailed for... That's the worst nickname so far, by the way. By a mile. I know it's supposed to. (laughs) He's jailed for hard labour for check forgery. By the end of the decade, he's published a book on wrestling and become a reporter for the sporting life. So they're all seen as these kind of, you know... Now, one, I think you're going to really like this guy. (laughs) His name is Hezekiah Moscow. He's a boxer, but also a bear tamer (laughs) based in Whitechapel. He's also known as Ching Hook, and he had a successful boxing career from 1880 to 1891. He toured the country then as a comedy sketch artist. What? And then he disappeared on his wife and baby, never to be seen again. There's so many subplots <laughs> in this story. I want to. I want you to do a deep dive. On oh, that there's guy, a bunch we got to do. We're coming back to this era again because oh. I've left out some of the biggest names. Like there'll be boxing aficionados going, "You left out this guy, this guy," but it's like because we're coming back to this era. Is he taming bears? No, he's off on his comedy sketch tour. <laughs> yeah, whereabouts? We don't know. He's left his wife and family. <laughs> we don't never, never see it again. There was another guy who was friends with Ezekiel Moscow. Uh, his name was Alexander Hayes Munro. He was a mariner from Jamaica turned lion tamer turned boxer. He's stabbed in a boarding house in the East End in 1885 <laughs> and dies of the infection hospital. So you've gone from this is Fig and Broughton so, to these are the guys boxing. So now. the aristocrats have abandoned this. Everyone's sport abandoned, now, yeah. and we are now down yep. in the yep. in the dark part of town. Victorian era middle class values, evangelical religious revival intensity on gambling and violence and drinking is pushed this all right it's losing all its social acceptability it's you know it's seen as all this as you know the violence is seen as not confined to boxes anymore spectators are involved in fights there's huge bets and often they're illegal fights and often the crowd will enter the ring and fight as well large this is the time (laughs) where large brawls are frequently carrying on so england is basically like we're done with this this is funny though because on the one hand they've tightened up the rules but then they've sent it off 
to, underground, to, to, to underground to be put in a really lawless yeah. environment. Yeah. So at this exact time, though, while it's dying in England and yes. the Victorian era is buttoned down and all this, this energy of fighting, drinking, gambling, yes. rowdiness, looseness, nonsense is suiting the American scene. They're, they're to an right. absolute T. Right. This is like we the immigrants are flooding in, you go to have fun, you don't live under the rules of the old That's aristocracy. It. And so this is where the absolute pinnacle of boxing or the power of boxing moves, moves. from, which is a whole other podcast that we won't get into today, but this is where it moves from England and effectively England loses its grip as the home of boxing and America with the Queensberry rules taking over. I'd love to chart this, but how many things the English have invented and th- yeah. th- that is just they're no longer good. No longer. They're no, they're no longer. They lost control of it, you know, like cricket's cricket, now run by India. Cricket, or, uh, football, yeah. now the Queensbury rules boxing, and they just yeah. they take their eye off the ball or something. They, they come up with all this great stuff. And- so in America, they're suddenly, they're also doing this, like we'll have these big fights, we've got all these, ethnic groups so we'll promote them along ethnic lines so it's like the german immigrant fighting the irish immigrant, yeah. and they all love it it's huge and there's a rise of an irish-born american boxer who will do it another time his name, his name is john l sullivan and for this story is important he's the first american champion to be considered the world champion yeah he claimed the heavyweight championship in 1882 so this is when all those the lion tamers and comedy troupe people are fighting <laughs> in britain he's uniting the world heavyweight championship in America. He fights under London bare knuckle rules at this point. And in 1889, he defends his title in America, bare knuckle fight. It's the last fight officially with bare knuckles. Bare knuckles. Legal Are they problem. Queensbury rules in it? No. no this not. is the last time that's ever really a, a world championship fights under bare knuckles. Legal problems follow this match in America because by this point, it's illegal bare knuckle fighting in every state. And so you have uh, John L. Sullivan, who's the champion, says, okay, now we're going to fight under the Queensberry rules. Mm -hmm. And because he says that, everyone in America goes, great, okay, we'll adopt that. The era of Fig, Broughton and bare knuckle fighting comes to an end and modern boxing has finally arrived. And that's how we go from medieval fighting to boxing. And that is a journey. It's so full of the different turns between class, the juxtaposition between rules and madness and I've still... Petulance. Had... <laughs> Pissed off. Chichiks and oh. royalty and... But it's just an outrageous story and it's still today, you know, out of everything, boxing still has a very special place in sport and in world culture. I, like. I think with boxing too, it's... While it's often barred by corruption, scandal, all sorts of problems, in its basic form is it's the most basic of sports, just two people in a ring. And there's, they always yeah. say, people have said the boxing ring is the loneliest place on earth. There's no one there. It's just you versus this person <laughs> and that's it. And, and so that bit of it has never changed. Through that journey, I'd love to have seen a bout in all those eras yeah, and because all of them have a different brutality <laughs> or meaning for the times. Yeah, but uh, rules. Here we are. They're the same. The damn nanny state. When do the ring girls come in? <laughs> do you know? 
Thank you once again, Titus, for enlightening me. I'm going to go away and I'm going to mull over that all day. And I'm going to go straight now to our YouTube channel and check out, I want to see some of the fighters. I want to see the Duke. I want to see the Queensbury. comedy troupe. I want to see Queensbury. Maybe Oscar Wilde. That's a sad little side. But yeah. You've got a few stories in there that you need to present. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. If you love Sports Bazaar, why wouldn't you want to sign up to Bazaar Plus, our membership program, for even more episodes? Just go to the link in the show notes to sign up. Cheers.